You are listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is our Dakota Access Pipeline edition, where we focus largely on the ongoing news item of this week. Of course, lots more criticizing Trudeau, making gauntlet-throwing sounds, and all sorts of fun things here this week on the program. If you want to support us, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patron, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Green Majority. And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, sitting in studio with Stefan Hoster. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically. Excellent. We have, uh, I'm starting off, uh, basically, we're going to, we're going to like roll down a hill today because we're going to start off kind of slow. Mm. Uh, and the end of the show is going to be full of, uh, we're going to pull out of retirement the feisty Wheaties thing. Uh, excellent. Um, because I have some, uh, this week's edition of Tough Love for Trudeau. <laughs> this uh, week's edition. I like yeah, this week's edition of some <laughs> Tough Love. Uh, I also have a challenge. I'm going to be doing that at the end of the show. I have a gauntlet that will be thrown down today. Um, but uh, as you can tell from my voice, we're going to start off we're going we're gonna to get there. Yeah. In, a middle, uh, in the middle of the program, we're going to basically spend the entire middle of the show talking about the uh, DAPL, uh, the uh, Standing Rock Sioux um, uh, protest against the North Dakota pipeline that is uh, continuing to evolve. We have over 260 people now total who have been arrested over the whole time period, with uh, about half of those taking place in the last few uh, days. I'm actually a little bit unclear on some of the timing here, but we'll get through the details and we'll sort that out in the middle of the program. End of the show is going to be largely about national news. Uh, we have a few stories about Trudeau, et cetera, as well. But for now, Stefan will be our guide. Take it away, Stefan. Thank you. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I gave a, I, I gave a preview of a, th- of a, of a ongoing segment I wanted to, I wanted to talk about, which is sort of this idea that we need to plan to win that, that, that environmentalists need to start, be, need to start building up uh, some capacity within uh, ourselves and with our communities uh, to allow for the the, the effects of, of – of, uh, to prepare for the effects of climate change and climate change regulation uh, and regulations on emissions uh, and, and to really build up the capacity for us to actually live a low-carbon future because the efforts that we're currently putting forth are not enough. Uh, since then, uh, I haven't talked about it at all, uh, so, but, but it's back. Uh, so I've, uh, this is, this is part one of an unknown part series, uh, but it begins with a sort of a, a headline of, of news that came out, uh, just today or yesterday and it's, and, and I'll, I'll eventually get there. So bear with me half a second, cause this is a fascinating piece of news. Uh, perhaps the so an article in the Wall Street Journal. Whenever I get to what, aside, whenever I get to talk about the Wall Street Journal, I'm always excited um, <laughs> because it means there's some some business news that su- that, that suddenly becomes important uh, to us. And like and no one can ever claim the Wall Street Journal is biased because yeah. if they're biased, they're biased in the other direction. So it's great. Yeah, it's like they're like the lowest common denominators. Like if they're there, then you really have to be thick to it, be, be to be past them. Exactly, they're, they're the litmus test for. Uh, plausible deniability, not on the facts, but on like that's about that's about as ignorant as you could be. Yeah, like right, but, so right beside <laughs> right beside the Wall Street Journal uh, article was a hit piece on Hillary Clinton. So like on this article, this article, and there was a hit piece on Hillary Clinton. Fair balance, exactly. Um, so this article is about Exxon, uh, which is posted which posted a thirty eight percent decline in quarterly profit. 
Sorry, can you just say that number? Uh, Exxon reported a 38% decline in quarterly profit. That sounds better every time I hear it. Yeah, uh, which now still is $2.7 billion of earnings. Uh, so this is not this is not like a – and again, this is only profit. It's not, it's, not, it's not losing money, just making less money basically. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that it's also currently under state and federal investigation for how it accounts for the value of its oil and gas wells. Mm. Um, and on Friday, uh, it's Exxon itself stated that may need to recognize 4.6 billion barrels of its reserves as no longer profitable to produce. Mm. And so the, 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 the monumental piece of this is, is can't be understated, I think, in my mind, because this is, to my knowledge, one of the first times and on such a scale that an oil company is admitting that it has stranded assets. Mm-hmm. You know, we've said the word stranded assets so many times on the show, I can't even count them. But the idea that Exxon is now admitting that 4.6 billion barrels that it has uh, may not ever – will not come to market. Is, which, which, considering what we know about Exxon and the oil industry and just large corporations in general, uh, almost certainly larger than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm, sure they're, I'm sure they're trying to hedge their bets right now. Uh, but that, but the, idea, the idea that they have to then admit that they will not actually be using this uh, is, feeds this larger narrative. Uh, which I'll get to in half a second. But the last thing, what's interesting about this 4.6 barrels, especially for us as Canadians, is that most of this is all from the oil sands in Alberta. So most of this is them saying that we cannot make this, the, the low price of oil likely means that we, it will never be profitable for us to use this oil. So why does this matter? What matters because, as I said earlier, it feeds into this concept of stranded assets. It feeds into this uh, larger piece of whether or not and how uh, we are going to be able to pay or, or, the, or how we understand the valuation of oil companies. If, if, if each, if ever, uh, the, the sooner that oil companies start admitting that parts of their, you know, parts of their assets are, are stranded, which basically means that they will never come to market yet are included currently in the value, in the value of the company. So how it works right now is that there's, you know, this 4.6 barrel billion barrels are included as value for, for Exxon mm-hmm. and them admitting this basically removes that value. Or that understanding of that value. And, and if, if this becomes a trend, which is what generally environmentalists have been arguing will have to happen if we're going to deal with climate change and will happen if we are going to hit this Par- the, the Paris Agreement, is that approximately 80% of, of known oil reserves will become stranded assets. Uh, that this market shock is what we need to be preparing for and, and is what will be the, the driver uh, in part uh, want to a low-carbon economy, or it will be understood as that's a piece of it that we have to accept. And so what this ties into, which is, 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 is it's a, a growing trend of, of larger institutions accepting this reality. Uh, even just last month, um, BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, which has almost $5 trillion of assets, uh, issued a report recommending that investors include climate risks in their decisions. Now, this could easily just be things like, uh, you know, if you don't invest in things near, near, you know, near on the on the edges of, of water that could rise and ruin it, rather than don't expect that the bottom will fall out of the price of carbon. But it's still it's a it's a it's a very very important uh, recommendation. Uh, their quote actually is: "Investors can no longer ignore climate change. Some may question the science behind it, but all are faced with a swelling tide of climate re- related regulations and technical technological disruption." It's part of a 16-page report that they mentioned on this. Um, and there's, so there's, there's this fascinating piece that the concern, interestingly here, is that 
you're looking at a bunch of people. Most people don't manage their own money. Very, very few people actually manage their own money. And so almost everybody is invested in some way in, in, in fossil fuels. And so this whole planning to win piece not only has to respect the, the fact that of, the, of planning for a low carbon economy, it also in some way has to include this understanding that, that the oil bubble – the, the, or the carbon bubble, the bubble that is currently exists of this, all these assets that the oil companies will eventually not be able to use. If that bursts, the amount of wealth, quote unquote wealth, uh, that will be lost at one moment would be would dwarf the the housing crisis. It's a good thing our entire economy is not chained to this this so called oil industry stuff. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise the Canadian economy might be devastated. Uh, unlike how we dodged the housing crisis, we could be the U.S. in a future thing. But thank goodness we're not. Yes, or or Iceland uh, as, as far as the people who really went down. Um, and and what's and so, and so what's interesting here is that what this means is that it's not only this whole planning to to, to win thing not only has to include the, the idea of actually expecting low carbon features. It also has to plan for what happens if this rate of technology change happens quickly enough to, act, to burst this bubble before we're really actually ready for it. Because, you know, the, the, this, there's once, as, as, the, as the whole HFC conversation we had last week and the week before proved, once there is an obvious economic benefit for uh, the right co- countries and business interests to get off carbon, um, it will happen very, very quickly. Uh, you know, the same thing. As soon as, as soon as uh, you know, the United States company came up with HFCs. How quickly did we have an actual ban on CFCs? Um, and and here, looking at things like the, the 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 dramatically decreasing price of solar and the and battery prices for for like tr- transportation, because transportation really is right now the crux of what's keeping up the you know the fact that oil is king, right? Um, is that the battery prices have declined by sixty five percent since twenty ten, thirty five percent with thirty five percent of that in twenty fifteen alone, and. Market research expects another 35% decline in 2016. And of course, this is from Bloomberg. This is from Bloomberg New Energy Finance. This is not, again, it's not some liberal think tank. This is, this is Bloomberg. And so the moment that we see this, the moment that, 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 uh, that we suddenly get serious about taking on carbon, that carbon bubble bursts immediately. And, and then suddenly the question becomes, okay, what are we going to do to survive that? How are we going to get through the hardships that the, the, this really tough transition period uh, of from one part of our economy to the next? Uh, you know, like there's even the housing crisis proved that even uh, like a disruption really, really hurts everyone. Not just you know, it's not just the housing market that went down. They it was that they went down and took a whole swath of the economy with them, and the idea that the carbon economy is so much bigger and so much wider reaching, and so. All of this is to say, and to get, to get to this point of, what can we do? What can we as environmentalists do? What what do we have? What should we be focusing on to actually take take this seriously? Uh, because it's you know it's not just a matter of of protecting the planet from climate change. It's a matter of protecting our our most vulnerable citizens from the impacts of this carbon bubble, which you know which no one seems to be willing to deflate. So eventually, let us pop. You know, one of my favorite quotes is that you know when when asked about how something came on, someone's you know they said uh, slowly and then all at once, and that's and that's you know you can kind of feel that 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 slow. You know, it, right now we're in the slowly, and then they're going to see something. Then it's going to happen all at once. Um, and so, what can we do? And I think the first so the first part that I kept coming back to, I kept working through my brain on this. I have like fifty different sheets of paper uh, that, that I've sort of drawn out and mapped out these different ways of what planning to win would really look like. I've I've seen it. Stefan doodles a lot. Yeah, I do. 
Um, and so, and, and one big piece that I kept coming back to was this idea of community resilience. Because each part of the uh, – everything sort of kept in some ways coming back to this point of community resilience. Um, and, and what that means is sort of the, the power that communities can have uh, to, to protect and, and, and keep afloat their own. Uh, you know, I, I had a whole conversation recently uh, – well, actually yesterday with, uh, with someone about the Mennonite community mm-hmm. and about how – how you know they had gone they had they had seen hundreds and thousands hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids come through their schools and never once had there been any sort of note of you know never once had they heard of a single Mennonite committing suicide because of the community that that that, that they that they so strongly hold mm-hmm. and and what got and what this leads to is this idea of when you are really really committed to your community and community resilience you know the people it, you can survive these kind of shocks. Whether or not it's climate related or, or 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 economy related, you are positioned well enough to pr- to protect protect yourself from these kind of shocks. And so I kept coming back to like, what are these things that lead to community resilience? You know, examples of things like the the the, the budding library movement, which I've I've, I've now called I'm, I've switched calling I've, I've started calling it the library movement instead of the sharing economy because. Everyone has decided the sharing economy includes Uber, and that makes no sense to me. So I'm having to come up with a new term to differentiate it from these two things. <laughs> um, and so the you know so things like you know our friends at the Toronto Tool Library or Seed Libraries uh, or even things like Buns Trading Zone, which is this massive trading network in, within Toronto, are all examples of. Uh, how you can build in community resilience because you know it, you don't need you don't need the you know you don't need three hundred dollars to to live well uh, as use it at, like, you know, with these sort of with these sort of tech tools and, and and communities at your disposal and 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 even further you sort of look at what people are doing with urban farms and and, and local food again you know if a massive price shock ha- ha- happens and we and food get and food costs from transportation dramatically increase. Do you know what keeps costing the same money? The thing you're growing in your own yard or in a community plot down the street or anywhere like that. These are the things that sort of provide – and they do a dual purpose of not only providing the tools uh, and, and the ways to, to sort of to, 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 to withstand these shocks. In, in like, like if I need a tool, I don't need to go buy one. I can go to the t- library. If I need, if I need you know, some carrots, I can go to my local plot. Um, it also creates a community around them where people look out for each other. You know, like if you come into a space and you're in a space, it, like it, where I know that I, I, if I like I may not be the kind of person who say would just randomly give to United Way or something like that, but if I see someone who's right in front of me who is a part of my own personal community, uh, I may be way more likely to actually help that person because you know because you've already built those and, and and it's that proof that sort of community building and community within smaller ties is what really actually uh, helps people. Uh, you know, and giving them uh, giving them dignity and and keeping people involved in the whole in the whole process, rather than sort of the idea of like, oh, there's charity to solve this thing. Uh, I was I had the I had the benefit of, of listening to, of hearing one of the of, of a really big food policy guy in the, in in, uh, in yes, uh, yesterday at a, at a TEDx talk, and his big thing was that charity and food uh, and giving food away is not it will not solve the hunger crisis. I can't just give you a monthly meal every day and solve your hunger because because you will be hungry tomorrow if I'm only giving food. It's it's it, you have to just take a step back. You have to create that community and 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 give the social programs uh, and provide you know a basic income and that's what will solve hunger. And I think it's that understanding that we can't 
we've we've shifted so much right now in consumer culture that everyone is a consumer. Even the people who don't have money have to now consume from food banks or consume from other things. Whereas what we need, what we were seeing in these different, you know, in libraries, in, in, in local food movements, uh, even in sort of the idea of co-working and, and, and couch surfing and all these sort of uh, these communities that are sort of coming up um, – is this is this shift towards back away from consumers to to, to to people, and and that's the that's what makes communities resilient, is is the fact that you know the you know Loblaws doesn't care if I can't afford to buy from them that like like the consumer the consumer uh, you know producer relationship implies nothing beyond a monetary transaction. And I think the moving away or pulling back from that consumer nature to this more community-based approach is the first step to not only reducing emissions generally, because these are what these often end up being, these communities prov- allow us to be more efficient in how we use our tools, more efficient in how we use our you know, gasoline, because we're not actually going, you know, transporting all our things from you know, Florida, and more efficient in how we actually use our space. Uh, to this much bigger, deeper use uh, of, of 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 you know oh you need you need a you need a tool or you need some sugar or anything like that you're in my community and it's this community resilience piece that I think is incredibly important and perhaps the first fundamental layer of this ongoing movement to uh, to do that. Uh, sorry, I just we've got we've got about a minute left, and and I've been uh, thinking about something I wanted to make a quick yeah. relation to that very much on that point, which is you were talking about the idea of uh, like community and and resilience, and and it just it made me think we're not going to get into it today, but there's been a lot of news about the of course the American election and also the the TPP and CETA mm-hmm. as well recently, and I just wanted to use because I think it plays perfectly off what you were just saying uh, about this idea that like you know when we're talking about people that argue for you know not in a like I'm pulling the wool over people's eyes and I'm really doing this for my own gain i think there are some of those people uh but most of the people most of the clintons in the world and and folks like that and trudeau absolutely same pile uh where they think no no, no like you know those stupid kids or those stupid activists don't understand they don't see the big picture uh when we you know create efficiency this is the best thing because that's how prices get down and you don't understand economics but i i want to i and i've attacked that from 37 different angles before i i'm going to take a different tack to playing off what you were mm-hmm. just saying though which is that there's this idea that i heard and Stefan, of course has a philosophy background so i think he'll like this mm-hmm. well of this idea that you know uh, mercy and justice are two values that as a society we uh, we value we think that mercy and justice are are good traits good values mm-hmm. um but they are in fact in conflict uh, uh, perfect justice and perfect mercy cannot exist simultaneously because perfect mercy is a suspension of justice. That's the definition of mercy, mm. right? Um, and so resiliency and efficiency have the same relationship. You can have both. They're both good qualities. We want to have as much of both as we can, uh, but y- there is a limit, right? The, the sweet spot is in the middle, not at the extreme. And mindsets of these like uber capitalists, these neoliberals, all these like free trade agreements, these are all maximize efficiency, maximize efficiency, maximize efficiency. But the more you maximize efficiency, the more you decrease adaptability. And so, like, let's take a let's take a really quick look at a, an, an ecosystem. It's a very complex place, but it's fairly resilient because you can knock out a few pieces here and there. Something can go extinct. Uh, poison can come in and c- kill a few species. And as long as otherwise the the ecosystem is healthy, aka adaptable, uh, has some adaptability, some flexibility in that system, it will adapt. 
No problem. But if a capitalist, if Hillary Clinton or Justin Trudeau or any of these other folks uh, come on in, they'd say, oh, look at this mess. This is not efficient at all. OK, let's wipe out all the things. What's the what's the mo- what's the predator that we want? We want to eat uh, bear meat or whatever. Mm-hmm. What's a big predator? We want to consume it or we want to use it for something. Great. OK, what do bears eat? All right. Knock out everything but what the bear eats and what that thing eats. So you create a single chain, right? This type of moss feeds this type of chipmunk. Oh, great. That's incredibly efficient. You would uh, you'd increase production of bears by 9 million percent. But guess what happens? Now you have a thing where a single gust of wind and the whole thing is, comes crashing down. And that's what that's what sneeringly down their their, you know, the ends of their noses. They don't understand because they think that efficiency is actually the ultimate goal, not realizing that, sure, some efficiency is very important. But if you don't have adaptability, you're dooming yourself. And that's the problem. Yeah. Well, and, well you, you very adequately described what we're currently doing with the agriculture system. We are we are prioritizing monocultures to get as much as much as possible at the expense of resilient crops. That's yeah. literally what we're doing right now. And when you when you make that as as you know when you do something like a food supply, make it you're basically you're maximizing fragility. I don't want to hear about this increasing mm-hmm. efficiency. You're maximizing fragility when you do that. And I think that is the ethos of uh, all neoliberal BS. Mm-hmm is maximize fragility is that's all i want to see people say from now on we better get to our music yeah. break, though unfortunately uh, uh uh neil who's back with us again this week do you want to let us know what we're going to listen to a lie nation alien nation and we are back here listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 fm i also want to just acknowledge uh we've had uh, re- uh occasional uh phone calls asking us to slow down um <laughs> Stefan, you remind me and I'll remind you. Yeah, exactly. One of us has to remember. Yeah. Well, we honestly, we do our best, but uh, Stefan and I are both naturally very fast speakers and uh, we get pretty, I get pretty worked up. I don't know, but Stefan seems to keep his cool, but I, I get pretty worked up during the show. So My fear is always if I don't speak quickly enough, I'll forget what I'm going to say. Yeah. And so I just have to get it all out there or yeah. I'm just going to lose it. So uh, maybe maybe we can create a fund to release a like slowed down version of the podcast. <laughs> Listen to everything at one point five speed. Everything will sound very calm. All right. Aside from that, we'll we'll do our best and noted and sorry, but we're just kinda, <laughs> we're just kind of like this. Uh, so moving on. So Stefan, you're going to give me a really quick, just a very very overview, uh, one second recap of actually what is going on with the DAPL uh, Dakota Access Pipeline protest. A very busy news week for that this week, and then we're going to relate that to a bunch of other news as well. But if you just give me the give us the timeline real quick. Yeah, for sure. So the so it's the week started off with on Monday. Uh, more than 120, 127 specifically, uh, people were arrested uh, over the weekend and then also on Monday. Uh, and they were facing a range of charges, including reckless endangerment, criminal trespass, engaging in, in, in a riot and resisting arrest and assault on a police officer. Uh, now, of course, these are this, this all of that should be taken with a relative grain of salt, given the fact that or not relative, a very large grain of salt, given the fact that these are peaceful protesters who are being approached by actual tanks. Yeah, like actual tanks um, and 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 men in, 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 you know, in riot gear, uh, you know, like it's it's only it's a riot. If you, it's, it's like it's like if you had to say it's a riot, if you show up in riot gear, uh, you know, so there's a bunch of people sitting peacefully. You show up in riot gear. Now it's a riot because why else would there be riot cops? I don't understand. Well, and just just because you mentioned the picture really quickly. I mean, if you look at some of the pictures, you'll notice one really key difference, which is even here, you know, in, in Toronto, where we're broadcasting from right now, um, you know, we remember very uh, often and it, it happens all over the world. But he, for us, you 
you know, here in comfortable North America. It doesn't happen that often. So our go-to example for us here in Toronto is, of course, the G20. And one of the, the signal signs you remember from the G20, among many other things, is a sea of shields, right? Yeah. Riot shields. It's very defensive. That's where, how they do things like kettling. Um, this is not what you see when you look at the uh, the police photos, uh, law enforcement lined up at the side the DAPL protests, where you see your officers all carrying big sticks. Yeah. This is 100% about intimidation, 0% about protecting the public interest. Uh, the police well, there are no simply... public around. Like, what, what are you, like, it's not like, it's yeah. not like these people are doing it. They're staying in a space and they're occupying it as a part of a peaceful protest. The idea that you can show up and then incite violence and then get, arrest people for the violence that you've incited is, is ludicrous. Yeah. If anyone saw the photos here and you 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 and didn't know anything about what officers looked like and you just read the story and and just for some reason didn't know what a police officer's uniform looked like, you would assume that the police officers are the one causing the riot. There's no defensive posture. They're sitting there, you know, smoking, playing on their cell phones, uh, but they're all holding big sticks. And by big sticks, I don't mean billy clubs. I mean baton, like mm. not and not like police issue batons. They're holding big wooden sticks. Yeah, this is 100% about intimidation. It's absolutely terrifying. Let yeah. me finish. Let me let me let you finish the timeline. So yeah, so you, so, so the yesterday. Uh, a whole bunch of more uh, uh, there's another clash I guess you can say I don't know I, I, I should really look up exactly how to talk about these sort of things because they're always it's always wording can be very very important uh, but more than 200 police showed up yesterday in riot gear uh, and deployed pepper spray and armored vehicles to push protesters uh, off the land belonging to the pipeline company so this is so here's the thing this is when you go back to sort of a, a re- resisting arrest or or, or, or or inciting riot you're pushing these people off land they're peacefully occupying uh to, to expect them not to resist you your encroachment is 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 ludicrous yeah um and as 16 more people were were, were arrested yesterday um and then and, and and the police will be on the scene quote unquote as long as it takes well guess uh, what so are the protesters yeah and so the so the protesters reported that, you know, the police's use of stun guns rubber bullets uh and beanbag rounds um and of course that you know the the the, the the police chief says that they were not deployed as far as I know, which is mildly useless. Yeah. There's <laughs> meanwhile keeping a media blackout. So that one of the other interesting things they initiated a no fly zone. Some of the um, some of the people that were there to observe, uh, they're being labeled in basically depending on what news source you go from, uh, they're labeled as journalists in the independent media and they're labeled as activists and <laughs> rioters in right. the mainstream media. Same people. Journalists, yeah, uh, largely uh, using some uh, obviously unarmed drones, uh, which was then shot down by a police officer, literally shot down with with I'm assuming a handgun, yeah, uh, and they've implicated a, a media blackouts, uh, reports of cell phone uh, signals being disrupted, and and uh, theorized that they were being uh, calls that did go through were being recorded. Uh, cell phone signals appear to have been rep- uh, suppressed. Um, there's also news coming out now about the guards we reported on, uh, from a few weeks ago, not officers, but security guards for the North Dakota pipeline company, uh, who moved in, who deployed dogs to intimidate and attack protesters as well, could be forcing criminal charges, according to an investigation, uh, due to the fact that they did not, uh, in North Dakota, they do not have, uh, licensing and could face criminal charges, uh, for deploying dogs to essentially attack people. So, I mean, yeah. once you're, once you're using a tactic that is not, uh, authorized, you're essentially just the, the fact that you're a security guard for the pipeline company is irrelevant. You yeah. just, you just showed up as a big gang of people to sick dogs on people you didn't like. Um, you know, for, for however else you want to uh, contextualize it, that is, that remains pretty much immutable. And, um, yeah, and I, I'm going to jump in with a with just a slight just. 
In case you know, I, I, like it, there's a. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us off track for half a second just to relate to a, to another thing that's happened uh, happened yesterday or actually earlier today maybe. Um and and just this under this deeper understanding and this deeper hypocrisy I think of of how of how the state. Uh, as as a as a as a as a uniform term for for the United States government, um, and also how uh, and also how, how how many media places are reporting on this kind of thing, um, which is if you go, which is that the, or, the uh, we didn't really report on too much because it wasn't exactly uh, a news story for us, but the Oregon standoff that happened uh, earlier this year, which was armed people, armed armed militia men. Let let's be very clear, armed white people. Yes, yes. Um, armed white men uh, who are decided that, that that I believe it all stems from the fact that one rancher didn't want to pay a head tax on his cattle, uh, decided to occupy uh, an, a, a, a relatively remote Oregon, uh, uh, like, state public land, uh, like, public land, basically. Uh, it was government offices. I forget exactly what it was, but it was, uh, yeah, it was some I, sort I, of it government was, office. It was, yeah, I think, I think no one was actually in it. I think it was, like, a, it was so remote that no one actually used it, but they occupied it as a way to, like, make a point. And these were armed men. Made, who made threats of, of violence against police officers. Uh, I yeah. don't have the direct quote, but it's a, the, what do you call it? Paraphrased, a paraphrased quote. I, I'm, I'm not reading too much into it. The word, the wording might be different, but the content is the same, saying that if the police officers uh, tried to push into the building, that they would fire on them. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, there was, t- was a 41-day standoff that of them sort of keeping in their space. That, and, and this was, you know, it was reported in this weird way of... Um, it was reported in this sort of like this is an odd thing that's happening. We don't know what's going on. But at one point, you know, the, the CNN was actually just playing their what their own what they were on the radio of their own. Basically, they, they were giving CNN was giving them a platform to sort of speak freely about what you know their perceived injustices they yeah. were facing. Let's also add that uh, the media was freely allowed to move in and out, and that these people were making almost daily interviews. Oh yeah, uh, including receiving mail. Yeah, uh, mail was being delivered to right. this building. Uh, also, warm massage by the police chief no i may have added that last one so yeah so like again it was it was still a it was still a you know it was a tense situation so they dealt but what matters here is that yesterday uh they were for they were let go the the the, the people who did this the, the the jury found them not guilty uh, to to be clear, I believe five of them were like I don't know five, if everybody, yeah, sorry, not everyone, off. not everyone. Yeah, right. some of them, uh, some of them, some of them uh, went. To, some of them just had pleaded guilty to conspiracy. Right. Uh, and so twenty six people have been charged, but this was like a certain subset, including like the the all what's his Alamin Amon Bundy, uh, which is like the the sort of the, the the head one of the heads of this organization. Yeah. And this was a so a jury let basically decided that this was allowed. That that you can that if you, that you can as an armed militia group take over a government building and stay there forty one days, uh, and yet and 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 then to and contrast that with anything that happens to any racialized person in America, like you, like there's so like you know it, for a long time it kept being this kept being shown uh, as like an example of like how 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 whiteness can can, can like the watch whiteness work uh, line of like you, how, what you can get away with basically, but a, a bigger part of it is a, it's a much stronger allegory to no day no no day DAPL, <laughs> which are here people who are who are who are standing up for something they believe in and they're occupying land and Nat 226 of them have been arrested. They've been pepper sprayed. They've been shot with bullets. And 
something tells me they're not going to get the same kind of jury that that these guys did. And you know, it's it's so there's there's one last sort of angle to this that I think is really important. I want to get to yeah, yeah. Uh, in our last couple of minutes, uh, which is uh, sort of another angle. This is uh, some reporting done by D Smog Blog, and this actually came out just before the most recent round of uh, arrests. Uh, so it's a piece looking into, and of course, uh, this as well as all of our news stories every week are posted on the website at greenmajority.ca. So you can go, and I encourage you to read these on your own, have a flip through them on your own. Don't take my word for it. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. Um, so what I was talking about was something called the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, which authorizes states to enter into agreements uh, to share resources and and personnel during a state of emergency. Uh, this law was put into place, um, uh, I believe, 2014? No, sorry, much older. Anyway, uh, forget the date. The date doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The, the point is that this was brought into as a disaster relief and has been used uh, during uh, several hurricanes, uh, most recently including Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Matthew. This is a disaster relief uh, uh, piece of legislation. The idea is essentially is that one, if one of the states in the U.S. Uh, declares a state an emergency because of a uh, disaster of some type, including uh, largely having to do with natural disasters, but there is language in there to manage things, uh, quote, like community disorders, insurgency, and enemy attack. Uh, to allow states to essentially send police officers out of state and that and essentially that they still have all of their rights because normally mm. that would be outside of their jurisdiction right. a police officer from you know New Jersey can't go to California and just start arresting people uh, unless there this agreement has been done in uh, so if, uh, last week or the week before a state of emergency was declared in North Dakota allowing officers now to pour in hundreds of officers to pour in from other regions now why is this interesting first of all it's interesting because this reminds us very much of again coming back to the G20 uh, almost all of the uh, charges or, or charges that were attempted to be laid or charges that were successfully laid against police officers were all against officers that were from out of town uh, this is an issue because of course you know if you know if this is your community and you see these people every day you're a lot less likely to uh, do things you know are not right if you go somewhere it's you know it's like the whole thing where downtown toronto sometimes i live near a club uh, we have a problem where people who live out in the the outskirts mm-hmm. of toronto will come down and they'll you know trash and they'll they'll drunk drive and all this sort of stuff and whatever and it's it's not you know because of where it's not because there's a problem with people who live in that spot it's because people have a tendency to be less concerned about uh they're following the rules when they're in an area where they don't feel like well i'm just visiting here for five minutes who cares what i do mm-hmm. and this applies to police officers as well now what becomes really interesting is when you come back and take a look at that fact that it's you know this is almost exclusively meant to be used for natural disasters there is language there about insurgency and enemy attack and community disorders the only other time this was uh, pulled out uh, during a non-disaster situation to, to use that community disorder part of the language uh, was during the uh, the massive protests after the uh, uh, police killing of uh, Freddie Gray uh, in the US uh, mm. as well and so what's really interesting about this is just that like this is the level uh, that the response – this is to, to protect a, a pipeline company's uh, interests lest their pipeline be delayed a short while while a discussion is had that no, instead, we should treat this like a freaking hurricane. That's the level of emergency that uh, n- that preventing a private corporation from developing uh, uh, its its project uh, – it, you know, it, they would rather – 
call it an emergency and literally call in police from out of state than simply have a discussion. Now, I think I know why. I think that's because they're like, well, they're just they're going to say, no, they don't want this. And yeah, but maybe you should have a conversation about why they don't want that. There is another avenue, but instead just go straight to this thing about, nope, we're going to come in. We're going to show up hundreds of police officers. We're going to pull them from other precincts. We're going to turn our back while private security unleashes dogs on people. We're going to pepper straight them. We're going to block out cell phone towers. uh, uh, Allegedly, Uh, we're going to shoot down drones so that we can't be surveilled, a media blackout. We're going to arrest journalists instead of letting a private corporation just go ahead and bully people uh, and, pol- and l- almost certainly uh, pour toxic waste into, mm-hmm. uh, into, a, uh, into a First Nation uh, uh, water supply. Yeah. Uh, but that makes so, sense, right, yeah, Stephen? Exactly. Uh, and so, and so I, I think the, a good place to end this is, 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 so what are they saying? What are the people in, uh, in Standing Rock or, or the, from the Standing Rock tribe uh, really have, or what are they saying? And so I want to switch uh, as the final part of the show, or part of this this section of the show, Segment, yeah. I'm not going to end us 20 minutes earlier or anything, um, is as, as a quote from, or a, report, or a release, a statement from uh, Dave Archambault, uh, who's a Standing Rock tribal chairman, uh, who, 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 who says basically that their, their call for is that militarized law enforcement agencies moved in on water protector, protectors with tanks and riot gear today, the statement says. Uh, we will continue to pray for peace and will call on the state of North Dakota to oversee the actions of local law enforcement to first and foremost inf- ensure the safe, everyone's safety. It really sounds like a statement coming from someone who's inciting a riot, right? Poli- basically being like, send people, let people, like, the, the, this, their request is quite literally for people to come and actually see what is happening because of the fact that they know that that's what matters. Well, and what's really hilarious is the uh, Morton County Sheriff's Department actually uh, uh, sent out tweeted out an infographic showing that 90% of the protesters arrested for their unlawful actions while protesting uh, the construction of DAPL were from out of state and it shows this map uh, covering uh, lines going up to Canada, basically uh, almost every state in the US. Mm. Uh, Basically, I think their thing was that like, look, it's not even local people people that are protesting it's just all these 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 foreigners these state you know state yeah. kind of foreigners not realizing that they just did an amazing advertising job for rallying up support be like look how widespread the resistance is a and b you know, there's the effect of, of course, hey, well, if somebody from two states over can go, I can go. Well, so I think this was the most huge uh, miscalculation uh, well, tweet ever. Let's also short not, of Donald Trump. Like, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, <count>. exactly. <laughs> but let us also not remember the fact that what, like, that what this has become is a focal point for 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 First Nations groups all across America. And the idea to use, like, it's perhaps the most colonial, colonial, ruthless thing to do to use the out of state argument on a subset of people who existed before you made up the lines. Like you put a bunch of lines in, and then we're like, these people are from outside of these made-up lines I made, and they're li- and they they have been on this land for so much longer that your than your lines did. I can't put a line in between you and I, and I don't call you outside of like you're on the uh, you're on the right side of this radio studio, Darren. So therefore, I don't you know you're you're an, you're a foreigner. Yeah. We've both been here for longer than that. This is a it's a ludicrous piece. I want to include. I just want to get one last. Uh, paragraph from their from what what they are asking for so we can get that out and then we can go to music break uh so the statement continues this is again the statement from uh standing rock tribal chairman dave archibald uh 
uh, which says the Department of Justice must send overseers immediately to ensure the protection of First Amendment rights and the safety of thousands here at Standing Rock. The DOJ can no longer ignore our requests. If harm comes to anyone, any who come here to stand in solidarity with us, it is on their watch. They must step in and hold the state of North Dakota and Morton County accountable for the, their acts of violence against innocent, prayerful people. Uh, so I feel you know, I, I've like w- if you're the Department of Justice, send in the overseers, because if these people are really the threat, the, the, the threat so much that you have to call in uh, emergency security from or emergency police officers from across the country, um, let's then let's have this then bring in people, and let them see it. If, it's if, it's really easy. Uh, you know, uh, stopping a corporation from doing what it wants despite uh, opposition is is more of a state of emergency than climate change. <laughs> just say if that's what you believe, then just say right. it, <clears throat> Clinton. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's stop there. We're going to move on to local matters in a minute. I've got a, a little bit of uh, my this week's feisty weedies for Justin Trudeau coming up after the music break. It will be short because we went a little over time, but I think the DAPL thing was uh, was worth the time spent on it. So Neil, please give us our next music break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Yeah, next we have a, another uh, listener pick. It's The band is Pretty Lights, and the song is Shortcut Detour. And I just have to say that both, both songs uh, requested today were awesome and uh, encourage listeners to request further songs that they... Yeah, people across. sent that in because I played Dead Mouse, so... <laughs> Thank you very much to our listeners for sending in the great music. You know, I do like me some Dead Mouse, but uh, I would rather make you guys happy. I can listen to my music anytime. So please, by all means, uh, send in some mu- uh, some music for us. Great music picks today uh, and accidentally appropriate for this week's show because yeah. they were sent in last week. We That's just true, didn't yeah. get to them. So, so there we go. So every time we get a little lull in uh, in music suggestions, I'll just play some more dance music. It, yeah, because I was threatening yeah. more Dead Mouse yeah. and people yeah. will start f- – the, the yeah. requests will start flooding in. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we've got very little time. I want to get to this very important. So I said I had some feisty weedies for Justin Trudeau. And what I want to start with, we just talked about the DAPL protest, and I want to move to, uh, of course, uh, the fact that we had a couple of uh, f- uh, young people on uh, last week uh, talking about um, uh, their, or no, it was two weeks, two weeks ago, ago, two weeks ago, two yeah. weeks ago uh, talking about uh, Climate 101, which is an action uh, that was uh, to meet uh, Justin Trudeau or outside Parliament uh, in Ottawa uh, last week is when mm. the event happened. A uh, hundred people or 99 people uh, were arrested at that by crossing out of the lawn. Very minor, uh, very minor piece of civil disobedience. Uh, nothing really happened um, as far as, as far as like, you know, the law being broken. It, you know, yeah, basically yeah. they just stepped on a lawn they weren't supposed to step on and a hundred people got arrested. So, but what's very important here of, uh, is that uh, it was an article that I was, uh, I think somebody actually sent me mm-hmm. um, here, but it's uh, by Drew Oja Jay. And it's called Youth Toss a Wrench in the Liberal Likeability Machine. And I, this, is my, uh, this is my recommended read for the week. Mm. Uh, I really I th- enjoy the term like, the liberal likeability machine. Solid, yes. solid term. Yes. Now, what's very interesting here, uh, of course, is that um, – so basically – this, so this was after the arrests and uh, the prime minister was at a, co- a youth conference. And was uh, was there, and a, a number of people stood up and uh, turned their backs uh, on Justin Trudeau. He did not react well, and he basically uh, urged them, uh, said, basically, sit down. I'm, I'm going to find you while I'm scanning through here. I'm gonna, while I'm talking, I'm just going to find the quote. Uh, 
but was basically uh, basically wanted a, a, a photo op. And one of the, the, the basically the point here of the argument was that uh, a very interesting point, which I sort of I had it sort of at a subconscious level, but I hadn't really had some, I hadn't really focused the thought until this article kind of pointed out, which is why I suggest you read it, uh, was the idea that essentially like. The liberals are using all this engagement, like they're they're offering all this engagement. They're doing, uh, uh, especially with the uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women the, and the in, uh, investigation into uh, issues around First Nations in this country. Very cool, very important that, the, that that's being done. Massive criticism that it's being useless or not being done as window dressing. And I think this is really the liberals' problem. And and the article, what the article, the argument the article makes, which I agree with wholeheartedly at this point, I could not possibly agree more, uh, is that essentially the liberals are using this to uh, – using that to pull a bait and switch around actually doing stuff. So they're um, – they're showing, and then the the article points out correctly. I think that the Trudeau basically admitted this. What they're saying was that now they're thinking about their well. They don't really need to do uh, electoral reform because the government's so popular. So what happens? What he's basically <laughs> yeah. telling everybody is that if you participate with us and make make us have the ability to to tell the media to go tell the rest of Canadians that we are asking and engaging that we then can do whatever we want because the only thing anyone's going to pay attention to if you're cynical or if you want to be optimistic and assume that they're naive and stupid uh, that that is all Canadians want is to uh, hey well as long as we hear them out it doesn't matter what we do as long as we hear them out and so what the 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 protests are centered around I think uh, and the uh, this article very much centers around is the idea that right now the only way to actually get something out of the Trudeau government is to not Go in, not to do the photo ops. I love all these things of people going in and refusing to be in like photographs with him, uh, not because I have some pet problem or because other people have some pet problem with not liking Trudeau uh, on a personal level, but because he's demonstrated basically time and time again over the last year that every time you do that, he uses that to, cl to claim victory and then move on and not do anything about it. And so it was very, very ironic here that uh, he was basically saying uh, I I've been – oh, here we go. OK. So, quote, uh, this is Trudeau. I look forward to hearing your question. I look forward to sharing my perspectives on that. And I will tell you that it is a little bit frustrating for me to come in, sit down, look forward to hearing from you, talking with you, and seeing a room full of people who are standing in a way that shows they are not listening to me that the, and that you don't want to engage. And I think that reflects poorly on everyone who doesn't want to listen and engage. Okay. Yeah. Did Am I crazy or did everybody catch that? <laughs> if you don't listen to me, then you're not engaging. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, I mean, literally, he basically is telling you what he wants you to do. He wants you to come in, listen to him. He's going to call that engagement. He gets to declare mission accomplished uh, and then move on and do whatever he wants. And he's doing that on voter reform. He's doing that on First Nations issues. And he's doing that on climate change. And this really is just a rebranding of Harper. He's, he's doing all the same things. He's doing a bunch of stuff that he can go and promote and say, look how liberal we are. We're talking to everybody to provide him cover to amount to the exact same policies. And it's for the exact same reason. I step on everyone jump in. And let me just finish this one thing, which is that he, what he's doing is that he contrives. That's why I was thinking about that, that thing I was saying before about maximizing fragility mm -hmm. because he, Trudeau, just like Clinton, just like uh, Harper, he simply, he simply has a better P marketing idea around how to do it is at the end of the day, the best thing for society is to maximize efficiency at the cost of every other interest. And that that really will be what's best for everybody. Mm. And that's, I think the most generous and fair way to interpret his comments is that he thinks that we don't understand and he 
he really does think that this is the way to get what's best for everyone and that he's going to basically ram it down our throats because he's Uncle uh, Trudeau and he knows what's best. And at the end of the day, we will all be so fabulous that we'll all be so amazed by how great it is that he'll that he'll end up being the champion. And and he's wrong. Because maximizing fragility is not what's best in Canada's interest. Now, I have 14 articles here. I'm not going to go through them. I'm just going to read a couple of titles really fast before I throw back to Stefan, which is just, again, this is just a handful of articles from this week. Communities challenging oil trains in their neighborhoods uh, due to uh, the volatility. Uh, agency predicts bullish future ahead of renewable p- uh, is powering past coal. Uh, the fact that two members of a regulator are saying that major pipeline companies aren't safe and want it shut down, and the only reason it hasn't been, uh, despite the fact that it's poking out of the ground and all sorts of other things, uh, because basically they just can't afford to turn it off. We'll protect the company at all costs. We have uh, Premier Brad Wall, who's uh, basically saying that carbon capture and storage is the way to go. Congratulations, throwing back to Harper. Well, guess what? Col- uh, solar has gone from like, uh, since we started doing this show, from about uh, 8% of the efficiency of oil and gas. It's now getting up into the 80s and 90s. And that's including the subsidies and all the benefits the industry get. If you wipe out those subsidies, solar and renewable on average as a portfolio is already better than these fossil fuels in, con- in this country. Uh, we have major newspapers, as you said, uh, Bloomberg before, talking about the carbon bubble, why investors all across the market can no longer afford these carbon risks. <clears throat> Not to mention uh, the fact that we now have climate change uh, uh, is on course to turn all of southern Spain into a desert by 2100. Uh, The fact that there's mounting uh, legal challenges against basically every single uh, pipeline in Canada, but specifically mounting on the LNG right now in BC. Uh, We have uh, uh, reports coming out absent radical system change. The world faces the loss of two thirds of all wildlife by 2100, 2200, no, 2020. All two-thirds of all wildlife gone. And a very fascinating article, which sounds like link bait, but it's actually not. It is actually literally true. Uh, I encourage you to read this article. The sky is literally falling because of climate change, says top mm-hmm. NASA scientist. Uh, and the argument around that is, uh, is, is, is shockingly uh, not metaphorical. Mm. Uh, Stefan, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I, I, mostly just because I wanted to cover uh, – I, I want to speak directly to this idea of, of, of what Trudeau can do. Yeah, uh, you know, in – I, I can fully understand that if you see yourself as you know trying doing uh, everything that you can, quote unquote, uh, and and have to to make you know to like oh, I'm doing all these things, and it, I you ha- I still think you have to give him some like it. There has been a he hasn't even released his second budget yet, uh, and so you know like to some extent you have to give some time for these things to to, to start moving, um, but at the same time when. You know, like if you want people to engage with you, and the same problem conversation we had, we've had multiple times with the with the National Energy Board, the NEB, which is that if if consultation is your only goal and it won't actually change how you act, then no one's going to want to talk to you. Like that's just it. You know, if the I, I honestly think that the mo- like you know he the moment that you see uh, the Trudeau government actually take a dangerous stand. You know, take a stand that they will be att- take a progressive stand that that will be that will be attacked in a real way. Otherwise known as being a leader, by the way, true. Yeah, uh, you know, like like actually actually take an idea, a stand on 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 getting and on fixing our electoral system. Actually block a pipeline. Uh, do something to show that you're different. Uh, 
And, you know, people will say, we'll point to like the, oh, look, but he got one degree. He, he's got a price on carbon for nationally. And yes, that's great news. But that's not the kind of action that is net, that like policy always feels like weaker action because it can be undone by the next person. Right. In four years, you know, the next person can come in and undo something. But where what really the fundamental the fundamental changes, the fundamental pieces that you're really talking about are these are these are these other decisions that that require sticking your neck out. And if you do, people will respect that people will like it's not like people aren't out like some people are definitely some people will never be happy with you Trudeau um, and you know that like there's a certain percentage who will never I be happy would. I would be yeah. happy if he's not being a coward right yeah. so like so I think the thing here is to, is, to, is to focus on is that you know if he took a stand and stopped Northern Gateway um, or, or Kinder Morgan which was what the Climate 101 protest was about you would see you know you, uh, you would then have a leg to stand on when you demand dialogue like if you're having this dialogue and you're getting and you're getting overwhelming evidence that Canada that Canadians do not want this or in that or that in that or indigenous people are, are are still feeling that you are not adequately collaborating with them do something about it yeah. take an action show that you're serious and that will actually encourage people back to the table uh, but the the way to the way to get people back to the table is to prove that you're listening uh, and and these are the things you can do Sorry, speaking of which, we only have a minute left. I really wanted to get to this. So first of all, my gauntlet that's going down. Yes, do it. I can make an economic-only argument for not building any more pipelines and for making massive investments, an entire economy shift into renewable energy, not dealing with climate change at all, not dealing with land rights at all, not dealing with it. All those things are super important. But this is my challenge. If you have another show that you listen to or somebody that disagrees or or you have access to a major news network, you want to go ahead and and start emailing uh, any news agency, any any other show, any forum where more than a few people are going to listen to it. And somebody wants to debate me on whether or not there is a financial only argument, an economic only argument for taking uh, the type of action that we propose on this show, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I will accept if if it is financially possible for me, I will accept that challenge anywhere, anytime to make that argument quickly, as well as talking about consultation. We did receive a note to the show that there's environment committee seeking input from stakeholders on the review of the Canadian Environmental Protection Act uh, information about how to submit your uh, questions, queries, suggestions to that as well. will be on the show. Also in the bonus show, we're talking about how to build, uh, not how to, but how somebody built a solar power home power system uh, made for about 50 euros, which is about 75 bucks made from entirely beer cans. Uh, and as well, a much more serious story, which really is something earlier Stefan was saying about why uh, we don't have and why we should have a national food policy thank you so much for listening to the green majority uh this week we're going to be back in the bonus show in a couple minutes and we'll miss you very greatly until next week thank you so much thank you for listening to the show we're now getting into the bonus show where we have a quick little discussion about food policy uh there's a really uh uh, long but not hard read article that uh, outlines this you can check on the website but here's our quick summary also beer can solar because that's fun Enjoy. You can be a member at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Welcome to the bonus segment of the program. I've had a, a, a chew of bagel and a, and a sip of coffee, and we had a minute to cool off. So I'm, I'm no longer foaming at the lips here. Yeah, there you go. That's a, it's an important, uh, you know, it's a, we have, it's a chill bonus show tonight. I think it's going to be a chill bonus show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to keep it chill. Although I, I, I would like to reiterate that my challenge at the end of the show was not uh, simply <laughs> me pontificating. That is real. Right. If anybody knows anywhere, um, you know, it's fine to invite us to do talks, but I'm really interested right now in, in uh, getting an audience to listen to a debate about mm. that topic. I think it would be extremely 
useful. And, and many people, uh, throughout my life, usually they didn't mean it super as a compliment. Right. Uh, but I've been told by many people throughout my life, including my own mother, uh, that I'm an excellent arguer. Yeah. Usually be, with, they're saying through clenched teeth <laughs> because they're irritated with me. Um, but I think I could do it. So that's a real challenge. All right. Uh, so we'll just, that's all we'll say about that. But that was, that was fully intended and, and meant. Uh, so we had two things on the agenda today, Stefan. One of them uh, were uh, two articles that we pulled up, and uh, one, well, one of them's from Dave, aka your brother, aka our animator. Which, yeah. oh, take a minute to talk oh, about yeah. that. Uh, well, the, so the good news, uh, Dave pointed out actually a couple. Dave pointed a couple things to me recently, which is one uh, that one of our videos has over our first uh, com- comic cartoons video has over two thousand views now. Nice. Uh, and another one has over seven hundred. Um, and so, and also, he pointed out that we haven't released one in a year. Uh, which in which he then also said in our defense we said we would not do another one until we got the money to pay for it mm-hmm. and we never got the money to pay for it but good news everyone we did it anyways reminder you can be a member now it, yeah. it's uh, actually I should, it's funny the live live streaming somebody uh, uh, twittered me yesterday saying that they tried to give us money and they and they couldn't so I asked them to send us an email but there may or may not be actually a, an issue with patron right now I don't no. know I, this person also just could have not been able to make the yeah, system yeah. work I don't know uh, but even, yeah if you're having any trouble with that if you'd like to be a member and you simply haven't been able to I'm assuming that's you know so many people yeah uh, I, I'm sure there's thousands of dollars waiting to be given to yeah. us that just the, 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 it's just been an issue with tech yeah okay <laughs> so uh, never mind all that sorry uh, the point was that that we were releasing a new one soon uh, next there couple will weeks, be a new, one soon. new one soon about soft grid energy systems in the comparison to hard grid energy systems should be super. Uh, the, the just the, it's worth watching for the draw, Dave's drawing of Amory Lovins alone. Wow! And never has anyone made a made a stick figure look so much like the real person than exists in this. <laughs> I haven't even seen it. I'm really excited. Yeah, now. it's great. All right. So what we want to talk about a little bit though, uh, I was uh, we had a, a request. I was emailed a link to an article talking about uh, Canada's food policy. We're not going to summarize the article uh, a because it's long and b because it's complicated. But we are going to talk about how it's complicated. So basically, the the overriding theme of this uh, article was about uh, Canada's uh, very obvious lack. Of a food policy. Mm. Uh, so, what is a food policy? Well, it just means uh, that uh, basically you have uh, a plan for how to uh, feed people. Mostly, it's uh, it, it can be, but I believe uh, usually when people are talking about that, it's it's more about access to food and less about growing food. Uh, but it, it, both of those things are generally included. It just sort of depends what scope you're looking at. Um, but this affects a lot of things, and this ties into what you were saying earlier, Stefan, about you know, get, you know, essentially you, you you've very nearly paraphrased without using the whole you know teach a person to fish rather than giving mm-hmm. them one thing. So why is this important? Well, a number of things that we go through is uh, as a national food policy, a poll was sent out uh, surveying Canadians about issues that they think are important, and I'm just going to go through. I, the numbers don't really matter so much, but in in decreasing order, so the the most agreement uh, to the least agreement, we're promoting uh, conservation and protection of resources, uh, increasing access to affordable and nutritious food in Canada, developing a long term plan for the agricultural sector, creating agricultural programs that increase population health, ensuring the Canadian Canadian agriculture sector remains profitable, ensuring that there will be enough food globally in the future, and increased uh, uh, increasing access to affordable and nutritious food globally. Now, I'm <clears throat> it's predictable, but also sort of a little bit sad. But I'm not I'm not really going to harp on it too much. Uh, that the because uh, it's totally predictable and understandable that sort of the you know the protection of resources is really funny. So protection of resources is the most concerning thing. 93% of people agree, surveyed, uh, agree that that's a very important thing that we need to do. Uh, but the least two are ensuring that there will be enough food globally in the future and increasing access to affordable and nutritious food supply, uh, which is down at a lowly 68%. Uh, 
And I find that curious. No, but I find that curious that like we have to protect our resources, but who gets them and under what auspices aren't so important and who cares if they get them for a fair price as long as we're covered. Now, I don't I don't think that if push came to shove any any well, maybe some, but most of the people surveyed would actually like take that position. But that is sort of what the data implies. Um, But this is what we're talking about. So access to increasingly healthy food. And so just as a really quick example, before I throw it over to Stefan for some comments um, is. So here's an interesting conundrum, right? So uh, if we're talking about uh, Canada as a country with some modicum of a public health care system. So the general health of the population is a f- of financial and taxpayer interest because the more people are sick and the more they need health care, the more we all have to pay for it, right? And there's generally not a huge ability to move that number of available funds around. You can do a little, uh, but it would be a pretty provocative statement for a government to take that they're going to drastically cut or drastically increase resources for public health care. A healthy debate would ensue, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. Yes. Um, but at the same point, what we have to sort of look at is that, well, okay, so if we're not eating healthy food, right? So say we, uh, we increase money for healthcare uh, availability, but we, do, we take that money from uh, nutritious food programs. Well, you've just shot yourself in the foot, haven't you? Because you're just increasing the uh, in needs by decreasing the healthiness of food. You're increasing general uh, sickness, which will then incre- further increase a cost. So you've you've at at best uh, done nothing. You're, you're, the money spent and the value you're getting for it has changed uh, by zero at best. At worst, that problem could actually be far worse because you know maybe uh, the efficiency of money being spent on healthy food programs keeps more people out of hospitals than that amount of money would cover in the hospital. Hospitals, right, so these are very complex and and telling questions, and I think that's really that's it. I don't think there's I don't think there's really much partisan disagreement on the value of these uh, types of coordinations, and and I don't really think anybody, even the conservatives, would say that it wouldn't be better if we had a comprehensive policy. I think this is really one of those areas where it's just so darn complicated that nobody wants to go anywhere near it. Well, and like let's not forget just how. It's hard to it's hard to make a campaign sign on a really complicated issue. Oh yeah, uh, as we know. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, and, and and furthermore, just just how 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 tied you can become to this kind of policy. You know, like look at the look at the state's farm bill. I know I've, I've talked about this forever, but the you know at some point you, know, you cannot. The, the United States, the United States knows its farm policy is kind of dumb. Like, the, like, like most people understand that the farm bill is, uh, is perhaps one of when people have got sort of these weird handouts that go things. The farm bill is 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 the quintessential version of that, but it's built in such a way that it it, it can never it can never be can never be undone because of the way it's it's crafted to be this monolithic, in it like piece of legislation that simultaneously drives up the you know the 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 way the the like it includes massive subsidies for corn uh which everyone knows basically now goes to is really subsidizing things like coca-cola because they're using that as sweetener uh it also but it also includes uh you know but 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 the money directly goes to the farmers so you have to keep it going to keep your farms going because the farms are required but in reality you're now just selling you're selling you know corn at, at well 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 below market rate so much so that they're that they make more money to selling it to the selling it for the the guaranteed price and then and then and then it gets cents on the dollar given to to these to sweeteners and then and then also you're all, at the same time food stamps are on that same bill 
So you can't, you know, it's, it's, they've basically tied this bill into this, in this scenario where no one in, like, the urban people need, uh, need to support it because the food stamps is a very important program within, within the United States. Yet, of course, we, we should also mention that food stamps, just like, you know, food stamps, just like, um, uh, just like other, other, uh, like food, uh, what for, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, food depots? No. Where do people get food? Food banks. Food, food banks. banks. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Depot. I don't know. <laughs> um, so just like just, just like food banks, uh, food stamps aren't going to solve hunger. They'll mitigate hunger. They won't solve hunger. Um, and, this, and so and so we have this massive policy that is actually it's a, making people less healthy. It's providing it's 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 a massive massive agricultural policy that is almost entirely just really just making sugary things much much cheaper and just making all of america less healthy and yet it's a part of this you know part one of your statements was making sure that being a farmer is still profitable that's what this bill is also doing Mm -hmm. and so like this idea of this sort of monolithic uh the concern i would have about about a nationwide policy is that it can end up becoming too big to fail Mm -hmm. uh and 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 be bad policy uh, because it, more and more we're seeing that the, the that the real thing that most of these policies lack to mis misdoing is uh is 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 reacting to the local situations on the ground right. and these massive policies don't do that uh you know it, 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 as much as as much as it's useful to have sort of some coordinated effort which which would be great it's definitely a concern that they can then ignore what the actual outcomes are Right. Like, you know, if you say, should we support our American farmers, you would say yes. If you say, should we give Coca-Cola a subsidy on its, on its sweeteners, you would say no. But that's the exact same thing in this, in, 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 with, with this national food policy. Right. And so it's, 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 yeah, as you said, it's incredibly complicated. Um, and and like, if, we, if there was a policy, I think it would have to focus really, really much on gen, general trends and then give – empower local communities to actually really – undertake these these larger goals well and that's and again we're not going to get sucked into another long conversation about the tpp but this is i mean another angle where the uh trade laws come into play right because as you know as my as my quoting of those uh uh, survey studies uh we're just showing the the first and foremost thing that canadians associate with uh our food is as a resource aka uh to sell right and so you know for never mind our, our earlier discussion or keep in mind but let's put aside for the moment our earlier discussion about maximizing fragility which is the neoliberal platform um yes i'm going to keep using that from now on that's my new thing mm-hmm. um is is the idea that okay well if you're only viewing it as research then you only worry about things that you want to export which you know aside from again putting aside for a second all the other concerns uh that's fine but we live in a you know a climate change world so uh, yeah, that means if, if we're producing food that we don't intend to consume, we want to sell, that means we're eating food that we're importing. Uh, and you know, maybe we have really good farmers or maybe we have, you know, just, you know, the hubris of like, well, it wouldn't happen here. Well, fine. Well, if all our food is for export, what if there's bad food, food policy somewhere else? What if, what if we, we come up with a really great food policy that, uh, you know, doesn't provide a lot of food for us, but it makes us so much money that we have a lot of money to, to buy it, you know, food on the international scale with. Uh, but you know, other places sort of food collapse. Uh, I mean, we need to, uh, part of having a comprehensive food policy, yes, is, is dealing with it, uh, responsibly as a resource. And, and I would much rather believe you, me, uh, between, you know, it, it making Canada's economy, uh, t- contingent on oil versus on rye bread. Uh, I'll take the bread if those are my only options. <laughs> um, 
but still, I mean, there, the idea here is that it's, it's, I think part of the problem with Canadians, uh, the Canadian mindset is that we're so, we're so used to, it's so part of our natural identity that we live in a, a sort of land of plenty that the, it just, the, I symbol a concept, you know, as soon as people think a valuable resource, they think, what can we sell it for? Cause we're not used to needing things. And, and I'm really concerned that, uh, as you said, it's complicated. There's, you know, pluses and minuses, uh, to doing a comprehensive policy. I think actually a smart way to go about it would be what I don't think is a smart policy on the carbon thing, which is let's give you some general outlines and then each you know province figures out how to meet these guidelines, Mm. uh, I think is the right approach to sort of balance that, you know, resiliency, uh, aspect, that adaptability aspect. Uh, but at the end of the day, like we need to start thinking like it is actually foreseeable that we could have a, an issue of access to fresh drinking water here. Uh, and if we're busily selling all the rights to international comp- corporations, we won't have any right to take it back. There is no taking it back once Nestle owns it. Uh, and there, you know, and there is no reconverting hundreds and millions of uh, hectares of farmland to uh, diverse crops uh, if the, the either market price of wheat or, uh, or if our ability, you know, the fact that we simply can't feed every Canadian on wheat, if, you know, if there's a disruption in the global food supply. So I think really the, the, it's, it's complicated and, and, and like anything else, I think I would actually argue that that's more complicated than coming up with a carbon uh, mm. policy. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think it's unquestionable. Uh, yeah. Exponentially, potentially exponentially so, although le- potentially less politically controversial, uh, technically more difficult. Um, I just uh, I, I see this as a as an as sort of as a litmus for uh, both politicians uh, basically thinking about like well nobody's screaming at not enough people are screaming at me to do this and it's hard therefore I won't do it like that's basically if those two things happen nothing will happen on on an issue uh, but also a little bit of the I think not forward thinking I think absent mindedness I, I hesitate to say ignorance but it's technically accurate uh, of a large segments of the Canadian population which don't just don't ex- just don't seem to accept the possibility that we actually could be food insecure uh, which of course overlooks the fact that already huge portions of Canadians are food insecure uh, which is uh, an issue that's not being met right now uh, which is we're, we're you know many people don't have access to any food uh, an even larger group of people don't have access to uh, healthy food and this is all even this current system which is grossly insufficient to meeting Canadians needs much less uh, selling stuff on the international market uh, is all contingent on nothing ever going wrong uh, which of course is silly yeah uh, we're at 16 minutes. Do you want to just, can we just spend a minute on beer cans? Sure. Uh, so th- there's a story, uh, I was going to say a, a listener. No, Dave sent it. To yeah, yeah, exactly. It, uh, it's all Dave all the time on this bonus show. All Dave on the, all the time on the bonus show. Um, about a guy building his own solar array, uh, out of reused, uh, recycled beer cans, which is funny and it's silly and that's perfect bonus show content. Uh, but rather than going through how he did it, because if you find that interesting, go ahead and read the article. It's not, we're not going to provide it, provide any added value there. Uh, what I wanted to just use that for a minute was, was the, uh, just like how, how many videos I've seen and on, on, uh, YouTube and, and out there of just like all these cool projects and all these ads for all these Kickstarter projects of, you know, or the, or stuff on, uh, like the documentary, like mini documentaries, like what vice does about all these amazing low tech solutions, uh, mm. many of whom use, you know, quote unquote garbage, um, to, to do them things that we just throw away to do these pretty incredible things. And I think it's a novelty story and I'm not proposing that, you know, Canada, you know, builds millions of solar panels, solar thermal arrays, uh, by, you know, tr- transitioning our recycling program into it, although that's a, an option. You know, we often don't have good uh, end uses for this stuff. Um, but more just to the fact that, like, what, Stefan, you were coming back to come full circle about this whole community resilience thing, which is yeah. 
just the idea that like if you have a strong sense of community now i i advocate for a world where where we consider every human part of our community mm-hmm. but until that day yeah uh local communities can do so many things i mean even, even a group of neighbors uh, in in on a street uh, what they could do if they cooperated to uh, improve their local environment and just set an example for what's possible. I mean, I think if there's, I know there's a lot of you out there, the the handy types. Yeah. You know, next time you're doing a, a project in your garage, you want something to work on, it doesn't matter. You just want like a, a thing that's neat. Do something like this. Yeah. You know, don't build another Barbie castle or whatever <laughs> it is. I don't know what people build. Uh, you know, you got all your, Barbie castles, actually. It's you know, 95% Barbie castles. Or any of those folks that have, you know, memberships to uh, to Tool Library or any of these 3D uh, modeling places. Like, there's so much cool stuff we can do. And, and if you if you just want something neat to do, I mean, please. I'm not technical. I'm not uh, that type of technologically uh, adept, but... Uh, yeah, oh, this I, is great. Do this, and then tell people about it, and we'll talk about it. That's the other plus. Yeah, You'll yeah. get mentioned on the Green Morning <laughs> Show. Uh, but yeah, so that's just to, just to follow up and to, to close us out uh, on that community piece. I think that's what's what's so interesting about about the, the, the final piece of all this is that it's it's just more efficient. You know, if you want to talk about you know, like if you, we've sort of made this dichotomy to resilient and efficiency, but like the actual use of things in a in a, in a community that shares is 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 so much better. You know, like it, it's been shown that you, and you can think of all the ways where if you know your community, you are so much more able uh, to to live to, you know, to, to not have to waste uh, or, or to overconsume things because you've you've built this community around you. You know, there's a reason why I why why people in, in, in tight knit communities, you know, were able to sort of just, you, you know, the, I, I have this overrunning joke about how like about how a lot of the new solutions that, that we're coming up with a hundred years ago are were just common sense. You know, the idea like there's an old adage of like asking your neighbor for sugar. No one now would ask their neighbor for sugar. It, like you would let your neighbor's sugar rot because you would go and buy it because the idea of asking for your neighbor for sugar is ludicrous now. And yet that's the kind of thing you, you want to talk about stop. You want to think about minimizing waste or or maximizing efficiency of things or use, full usage of things. It's it, knowing people who who being a part of a community who can share skills like this is the way to do it. Uh, and so you know, like I, I like I live in a condo uh, and uh, I, I rent a condo. Um, and I don't I don't know most of my neighbors. I'm willing to admit that. Uh, you know, I found my community outside of outside of my actual where I live specifically, which I think is which I'm going to argue is is just as fine. You can find your community anywhere. Uh, but. But 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 I think especially it's extra valuable if you actually can meet people you know if you are actually just know your neighbors but you know just getting involved in 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 local in something to do with we are getting involved with a set of people that will help each other can just do so much and and it, it make it's it's it saves you money it saves the planet emissions and it makes everyone it's been proven to make you happier uh, so it's a win 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 sounds like the the good alternate theme for this week <laughs> Stefan's win 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 all right thanks for everybody for listening we'll take care we'll see you real soon.